This is the Daily Signal podcast for Monday, February 4th. I'm Rob Bluey, Editor-in-Chief. And I'm Rachel Del Judas. Today, we're featuring an interview with someone who you might not expect to hear on our podcast. His name is Hawk Newsom, and he's a civil rights activist and leader of Black Lives Matter of Greater New York. I recently visited him in the South Bronx, and we'll have our conversation in just a moment. We also have your letters to the editor, and we share a story about former Secretary of State Colin Powell and how a good Samaritan saved the day. The Daily Signal is on location today in the South Bronx of New York City at Papuan Cigar Room. We're talking to Hawk Newsom, who's the president of Black Lives Matter of Greater New York and also the co-founder of Rejuvenation. Hawk, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me today. I appreciate you having the courage to come to the South Bronx. Absolutely. You know, uh, I often make it a point when people want to meet with me, be they activists or the strategic business type meeting, I make it a point to bring people to the Bronx so they could, uh, one, see the folks that, 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 that I'm a part of, see what we represent, and two, just to see how scared they get. <laughs> well, Yankee Stadium's just down the street, so yeah. I have to admit I had a had a peek. I've never been to a, a Yankees game in this stadium. I did come when I was uh, a young kid, so okay. it's been a while since I've been back here. You know those basketball courts that were on the other side? Yes. I lived there growing up. I literally would go there at about 6 o'clock in the morning, play until 10, go home, shower, change, come back at 2, uh, play basketball, leave at 5 45 because my sister's daycare released her at six so i'd sprint to the daycare center pick her up take her to get food then come back to the courts so i literally like lived there it was so bad like the, the bowling alley was our, our bathroom so the people at the bowling alley knew us like it was, oh yeah those are the basketball kids but yeah i mean i pretty much earned a college scholarship right behind yankee stadium playing those courts that's great well i want to say, say one other thing you know you mentioned that uh getting out and and showing up and going to communities that's one of the things that we strive to do at the daily signal is mm-hmm. uh, is we want to get out of washington because we know that there are some great stories happening across this country and i was personally inspired uh, hearing an interview that you did with arthur brooks um, mm-hmm. who's the president of the american enterprise institute on his podcast and i just wanted to start by having you describe who is hawk newsom to our listeners uh i'm a devout christian I'm a family man. Uh, if I'm not working, I guarantee you I'm in two places. I'm either at home with my family or I'm in church or someplace having a cigar, you know, but I guess that's work and play. But um, I stand strong in my convictions. My convictions aren't popular by far. A lot of people think that Black Lives Matter New York is a lot bigger than it is, but I'd say that we are radical in our ideals where in which we don't fall in line with the classic radicals whereas no we don't believe you should abolish the government we believe that we can make this system work i believe that our forefathers were crooks and they left us enough loopholes in the law for us to exploit them and actually obtain equality and access through them um fifth amendment no decent upstanding citizen would come up with something like the fifth amendment i'm just saying right so it is what it is uh we do we are not fans of the democratic party 
even though, you know, we tend to vote that way because they do represent a lot of our ideals. We're also, you know, not friends of the Republican Party. I'm a friend of black people. I'm a friend of Latino people. I'm a friend of poor white people. I'm a friend of gay trans people and those who are oppressed like women i i i, I that's that, these are the people we fight for and what i realized is it's the government against the people but we don't get that as a whole we're we're, we're easily manipulated by the government by the media and we don't see that this game's being played and everybody's winning except for the small guy you know so um that's our brand of activism it's very strategic it's, it's very strategic, where in which we'll sit down with someone like Arthur Brooks, right? Who's actually a really cool dude, right? When you sit down, you talk to him. But people can't get past what American Enterprise Institute represents on our side of the fence, right? But um, you sit down, you share ideas, you find out your commonalities. But, of course, we disagree on... Of course, we, we, we disagree. But... You find ways where in which you can work together with people on issues. We don't have to love each other and, and hold hands and sing kumbaya to say, hey, you know what? Uh, people who are who have served their time in jail should be allowed to vote. So let's come together and fix this thing. And that's what you saw in Florida, right? In your own experience, how have you been able to bridge some of those divides and, and maybe create a conversation among people that wouldn't typically be talking? I think it's the way my parents raised me. Um, my father used to always say, don't put labels on people. Like my mother will say something like, ah, oh, you know, those kids are such and such. My father would be like, don't put labels on those kids. You know, meaning don't just categorize people and write them off. And that's, that's, that's that's where we lose so many people like there's a lot of people in the Republican Party who are not racist, but their views and what they support leads the majority of the world to say, hey, you know what? You guys are a bunch of racist. But what it's our job to do is communicate to them and effectively and try to bring them into the light. Right. A more. I, wouldn't, I don't want to use the word liberal, but a more human-centered light. And there's a lot of people on both sides who don't want to see that happen. Yeah. I don't know if I'm answering your question. You, no, that, that's yeah. helpful to understand. You know, you mentioned uh, your, your upbringing. Uh, you talk about the Christian values. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that's helped also to, to shape your perspective? I mean, here we are at a time when it seems that so many people are moving away from, from faith. Yeah. Yeah, witchcraft. <laughs> witchcraft is, is on the rise because people have given religion a bad name. You got these black multimillionaire pastors who uh, have these mega churches, these really nice cars and private jets. So the black community is like, whoa, I'm not like you. Then you have these Christians who support a man like Donald Trump, who's an adulterer. A man who's consistently found to be dishonest, right? And they say, oh, no, he's all right, and they stand by him. They don't say we're standing next to him trying to heal his soul. You know, they, they say, no, we support him. That's a problem. So, so regular conservatives, white folks are like, that's not really younger. People are like, that's not really the God I serve. Or there's a lot of people out here giving God a bad rap. 
You know, there's 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 people out here who say shut down the borders. I don't care what their their situations are. Uh, Jesus was kind of like seeking asylum. <laughs> like like you you really have to remove the politics and insert God. God said, treat your neighbor as you would treat yourself. If we did that, we would truly be the um, the lighthouse of the world. I want to ask about your youth. You know, you mentioned growing up here in the South Bronx and and what the situation was like. Um, you you didn't finish high school, but then you went on to get your GED. Mm-hmm. Uh, you went on to uh, graduate and move into the legal profession. What was it that motivated you when so many other people might just give up? Um, I grew up in a village. Like, we grew up in the South Bronx. There was a, a, a crack spot on the corner. It's old Coke, whatever. Um, someone was shot with a shotgun in front of my door. But our building was uh, a strong community. Most of the kids in there had both parents in their homes. Like, I'd say 90% of the families, the kids I grew up playing with, a group of 10 or 12, had two parents in their home. Uh, everybody was everyone's parent, you know? We all played together. We were all very competitive. We were very competitive in sports. It's not this new, nuanced type of sport where everybody gets an award. No, we wanted to be champions. We wanted to win. And out of that building um, on Sheridan Avenue, right here in the South Bronx, um, consistently one of the 10 most poorest congressional districts in the country. We have uh, my cousin, who's a lawyer. Uh, You know, I have a law degree. Um, uh, Aviator, someone who flies jets. Uh, Captain in the Army. Two entrepreneurs. One Wall Street financier. uh, Another guy, uh, captain of, 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 of ships, right? He sails ships around the Caribbean. Go figure. There's just so much success. Uh, rapper, right? <laughs> there's um, there's just so much doctors. This is one building in the South Bronx, right? And this is like two over two generations, and that's that's because that's the way we were raised. It wasn't like when we were growing up. Oh, we hope you can get to college. College was expected. If you didn't want to go to college in our household, you know, in our building, you were a failure. Not all of us finished college, but you were expected to go to college. You were expected to go on and get degrees, and that was that was the benchmark. So I, I'd say it was the way we were raised. It was a stronger community. You know, we, we had video games, but we were, like I said, we were always playing games, you know. We had a, a government of sorts in our building, you know, with different tiers of leadership. Like, these are the type of kids we were. So I think that plays a, a major part in it. We, you know, we all went to church together. We all slept at each other's houses. Actually, this is actually really interesting. Uh, Mr. Coswin, um, I don't think out of all of our parents, there was a college degree, which is really interesting. One, my uncle, he went to college, but um, he left. He went to Florida A&M. But, uh, yeah, there wasn't a college degree amongst all our parents, but they, they, they were very intelligent people. And Mr. Coswin died, call him Cos. But um, we were sitting down after the service having brunch. And my mom called, and I put her on the phone with three different people at that, that table. You know, everybody moved around the country. And each person who got on the phone said, hello, Miss Doris. 
Hello, Miss Doris. You understand the level of respect? You know, yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. That's how we were raised. I think that has a lot to do with it. Definitely. Some great stories there, Hawk. Uh, <laughs> you know, stories that probably people don't know. Now, let's fast forward to today. So, Black Lives Matter New York, your involvement. How did it all start? Uh, what inspired you? Truth be told, we're not part of the global network, right? But neither are some of the premier Black Lives Matter activists. And what they say is we aren't in touch with their core values. They really had a problem with us after that mother of all rallies, which I'm sure we'll talk more about later. But um, in 2016, I believe it was 2016, uh, 2016, Eric Gardner had passed already. It had already been like a year or two since Eric Gardner's passing. I was a member of other organizations in the city. And I was like, why doesn't Black Lives Matter have a presence in New York City? Where, where, where are they? And I looked, I, I researched it. There was a Black Lives Matter NYC, but they were nothing more than a social media presence. And I decided that I was going to found Black Lives Matter Greater New York with the help of Nick Cannon, who's a celebrity. He has the number one comedy show on MTV. He, start, he has a show on Fox that's coming out. He's a pretty deep, deep, profound brother and very uh, pro-black, in favor of liberation. And um, he actually helps us a lot. But we founded the organization together. And the first place we went was the Republican National Convention. And um, and I was in Ohio. And we went there to say, I ain't I was there too. Oh, right on. And we, were, we went there to say, I ain't voting until Black Lives Matter. One of the things that spurred us was the skinhead said, Black Lives Matter. The neo-Nazi said, Black Lives Matter better not show up. And we was like, oh, yeah, that's when we definitely were going. So so um, we went down there. But then we turned around and went to the DNC and said the same thing. And that was interesting because people were like, wait, you're protesting the DNC? Yeah, there was a large contingent of black folks mixed in with Bernie folks, mixed in with Green Party folks who were saying, no, like we're tired of what, the way you treat our people. Excuse me. So uh, we founded it and then we just made it our purpose to be everywhere all the time when something happened in New York. And that's what it became. So I, I, could, I can name at least two court trials where we were the only group there. Deborah Dan, a 60-year-old schizophrenic woman. She um she was she was the only one. I mean, you know, we were the only ones there for her trial. Cop shot a 66-year-old schizophrenic woman who was holding a stick. Like every other officer in the room, people listening, I know you have a conservative base who are pro cop. And they'll say something like, "Well, she shouldn't have had a stick." Well, what I contend is four other cops in that room said they wouldn't have shot that woman. Right. This officer's father was the head of communications for the NYPD. He had several uh, lawsuits filed against him for civil rights violations where the city paid out money. However, his jacket was clean. They covered up all his transgressions. This man was a ticking time bomb who 
blew up in this old black lady's bedroom. So we were the only ones there, you know. Um, Delron Smalls, another case, a cop shot a man over a near fender bender. We were there diligently. Sometimes it's just me and one other person, but we just make it our business to always be there and always be consistent. I'd say this year um, we've been more, I, I, don't, I don't even know how to word this the right way, We've been operating at a different level, whereas I've been traveling a lot. Uh, one of our core members is in New Mexico on a reservation, learning how to teach from an indigenous perspective. And then he's coming back here. We have um, uh, we, we have some pretty, pretty uh, intense things on the cooker. And uh, our, our, our leader is an 18 year old young woman her name is nepal kiazolo team vogue just flew out to california gave her the top 21 under 21 award and so so we're kind of spread out but we're doing these really major things it's about getting back into the projects and helping our people just like we did when we started out yeah, yeah. well i watched uh, i believe it was a ted talk that you did and you were telling the story about being in baltimore uh, right around the time of freddie gray and you were with Freddie Gray's brother, I, I believe, yeah. and confronting the, the very cop who, who shot Freddie Gray. Um, so you are getting out to different communities in the United mm -hmm. States. And, and how are you received? And I, this will lead into the question about the pro-Trump rally. But how are you received when you are, are in different communities? Um, have you noticed a change in attitudes over the years? Uh, celebrated by some. A lot of activists, uh, you know, don't embrace us because we have the profile we have, because we are willing to talk across party lines, right? Because we won't say we hate all cops. I don't hate all cops. I hate the system of policing in America. But I understand that they're only a wheel in the sp uh, 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 just a cog. They're a spoke in a wheel. Like, they're not what makes this thing tick. Change will come from policing, from legislation, from the top down. That's how effective change happens. They're just following orders. And you say, what kind of human being would follow those orders? I'd agree with you. Ripping a baby out of a, a one-year-old out of his mother's arms? Yeah, horrendous act. Some of these are really bad people. But I just won't write them off. I'd rather attack them systemically. And um, that's that's extremely important for me. But outside of that, those little that little bit of negativity is love. I went down to Florida uh, to, to support the Gillum campaign. I was welcome with open arms. The mayor of Miami Gardens, um, Oliver, he took me with him. We went. They had a voting drive. Get out the vote drive with uh, uh, DJ Khaled, you know, which was very special. Uh, there was just this. We went to Georgia and hung out with Abrams' team on election day. So it's, it's, it's warm. People want a new message. People want something new. And for that reason, I'm actually um, I'm stepping down as president of Black Lives Matter in New York. I'll still be a member, but I'm starting an organization called Rejuvenation, which is focused on healing our people. Like for me right now, it's building up our people there's people talk about systemic racism but 
they don't talk about food injustice. They don't talk about food deserts. They don't talk about how Coca-Cola, Pepsi-Cola, I don't know who's sponsoring you, uh, uh, McDonald's and these fast food companies are intentionally poisoning black people. They put addictive substances in these foods. We get addicted, get fat, and everybody's like, it's your fault. It's your fault. You made that choice. No, these people are obese intentionally this goes for white people too like this is a serious problem here in america this is something i want to fix uh black folks need to be educated this is not their fault it's just class right people who are poor are not sitting down talking about the stock market they're not talking about you know money and the way it operates they're not business owners so we need to bring that into the community so that we can prepare our people this robot revolution is real, whether folks talk about it or acknowledge it or not. And, you know, there are millions of truck drivers in America right now. Ninety percent of those jobs will be gone in 20 years. If I can show black people how they what industries they should go in and, and, and how they would what, what skills they should develop, then when the world changes, We'll be on a different side of the pendulum, right? We'll be in a completely different position. The environmental injustice, this this climate crisis that we're living in, there are jobs there. I work with uh, Ray Lewis's group, Power 52, down in Baltimore. And um, they are te- they're giving people in Baltimore free training on solar panel installation, right? These, this is this is what we need. People need empowerment, and this is what black people tell me, right? Like like, yeah, you're out there, you're fighting, but the police and and the government, that's part of it. We need to go in and and fix a lot that's wrong with our people. And I'm not saying it's a pull yourself up by the bootstrap problem, because it's it's harder for you to pull yourself up by the bootstrap when there's three hundred a three hundred pound weight vest on you. That someone else doesn't have, sure. you know, so I want to help them remove that, that, that 300 pound weight. We'll be right back with part two of our interview with Hawk Newsom. Do you own an Alexa? You can now get the Daily Signal podcast every day as part of your daily flash briefing. It's easy to do. Just open up your Alexa app, go to settings and select flash briefing. From there, you can search for the Daily Signal podcast and add it to your flash briefing so you can stay up to date with the top news of the day that the liberal media isn't covering. I want to go back to that day when you found yourself at a pro-Trump rally and ended up on stage. How did it all happen? Uh, We went down to Richmond, Virginia. There were protests around a Confederate statue. What people don't understand is we see these statues like statues of Hitler. You might take it as your American history, right? But would you tell a Jewish person that in Germany? Like, no, leave the statue of Hitler here. Leave these swastikas up. Because this is part of German history. Are you kidding me? Put it in a museum. So we went down to protest this statue. You know, there were um, armed uh, pro-Confederate white nationalist types there. And it turned out to be a dud. Because not a lot of them showed up. They left really quickly. So we were on our way back. And uh, Angelique Negroni Kearse, um, she was driving. Her husband died as a result of police negligence. And I fell asleep. And when I woke up, she's like, oh, my God, Hulk. She has this Puerto Rican accent. right? She's like, oh, my God, Hulk. 
I've never been to DC. So, so I'm there, I opened my eyes, I'm like, okay, cool. And there was a reporter who rode down with us to cover the story. And he was like, you remember we were gonna do the mother of all rallies first before we decided to go to Richmond. You wanna stop by? I said, sure. So we went, eight of us, it was about 1,800 or maybe 1,000, uh, uh, I guess they call themselves patriots, who were there. And um, we were like, okay, we're going to protest. You know, they're pro-Trump, they're, they're, they're pro-Confederacy. We're going to let them know that we don't agree with them. So we went and um, to protest. And eventually, they, the, they invited us up on stage. You know, it was hostile. It was very hostile at first. We got called all kinds of names. People said, if you don't like America, go home. Hello, black people built this country for free. We're heavily vested in this country. <laughs> like, hello, you need to acknowledge that, even though the history books don't. Um, so they invited us on stage, and I was hell-bent, uh, and I use that word strategically i was hell-bent on going up there and you're you're wearing your black lives matter shirt correct yeah, i mean yeah, so you, you you're you're clearly stating your 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 views <laughs> literally <laughs> on your chest <laughs> on, on my chest right on and um and uh i go we go on stage and on the way up on stage it was like the skies open up and i know a lot of people won't accept this but those who have god in their heart who have some sort of spirituality will understand what i'm saying when it was like the sky opened up and a voice came down and it said make them understand who you are so what that meant was don't go up there and curse them and damn them all but make them understand why we're out here fighting why we march why we do this work and that's what happened that's what happened i don't think my bible is any different from yours when it says love thy neighbor it didn't say that 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 neighbor had to be from the continental united states i'm sorry i'm sorry we love one another the reason why we fight is to draw attention to issues and to fix it. We are not anti-cop. We are anti-bad cop. Who said if a cop is bad, he needs to get fired like a bad plumber, like a bad lawyer, like a bad politician. So you had that you talk about this in the podcast with Arthur Brooks. You could have stood on that stage, said some things to rile up the crowd and Mm -hmm. fuel their anger. And instead, you didn't. You chose a different path and they embraced you in many respects. What was funny is I said the same things that would normally rile them up. But I just worded them differently in a way that they that was palatable, that they could accept. So the first thing I said was, you know, I'm Hawk Newsom, I'm the president of Black Lives Matter, and I'm an American. They went bananas, like applauds. We, they went from booing to cheering us on in a matter of three minutes. 
<laughs> and um, I, let me take you back. There was something that happened that a lot of people don't know about. When we came up on stage, there was a fella on the microphone who was like, y'all stand in a straight line and put your fist up, and that's all y'all do. I said, who the explicative? <laughs> who, who, who do you think you're talking to? And and he was like, fine, if you don't like it, then get off the stage. And some people turned, I was like, nah, we're not going anywhere. You're not bringing me up on the stage. You're not making me look like a fool. And I started going into it. And then the fellow who organized the march, um, his name's Tommy Gunn. Yeah. He said, no, they came up here. They're going to say their part. That was honorable on his part. And um, so, yeah, I'm Hawk Newsom. I'm an American. Yes. An American... And Americans, when we see there's a problem, we mobilize and fix it, what we, which we can agree on, right? From the first riot in this country's history, the Boston Tea Party, the first, I, I call it a protest, all the way to Martin Luther King and his protest. We are a protesting nation, and um, we mobilize to fix it. So when you see people cheer, so when you see a man choke to death saying, I can't breathe 11 times and nothing happens, then something needs to be done. And one woman was screaming, she's an idiot. But a lot of people were kind of slow clapping like, wow, but Jillies, <laughs> that makes sense, right? Now, I smoke cigars all over the city. And um, I saw, I was, I was at Davidoff down near Wall Street. And somebody said, hawk, hawk. I looked up, I said, how do we know each other? He said, um, you know, we were in a meeting, um, NYPD, you know, young guy, white dude. And I was like, <laughs> funny. He was like, nah, it's all good. We're just gentlemen having a cigar. I said, you're right. And um, for some reason, we started talking about Eric Garner. And I was like, you know that cop that, chill, that killed him should not have a job. And what he told me was, you know, between me and you, now it's between me and all your listeners, a lot of cops on the force call him a punk right because there were six people on eric gardner and he didn't have to choke him these are these moments these are these moments that will change the world now where we have to get to is where all of those cops come together and say i'm not working with this scumbag anymore fire him or we quit that's that's when the change occurs because Everything is so polarizing. Everybody's on these teams and, 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 and they can't concede to anything. But could you imagine if police officers in these precincts actually started speaking out about, against these cops? Then you could call a cop a hero, right? Then people like me will say that was a heroic act, you know? And so, yeah, that, that was that story. I also said on that stage at the Mother of All Rallies, I'm a Christian. Everybody started clapping. Like, yes, I'm a Christian. Black people, activists are Christian. Check your Bible. Jesus Christ was a radical revolutionary. Uh, he fought against the government. The police arrested him and crucified him. Think about your Bible. Think about your Bible. Like, Jesus was an activist who was crucified. Whatever. But um, it, it makes sense, right? And uh, so I said, I don't know if your Bible is any different from mine, but it says love your neighbor. And that doesn't mean that your neighbor has to be from the United States of America. Right. I believe in political asylum. 
But I also don't believe that we should let everyone who wants to come in this country in. When people hear this, they're going to go crazy. But um, but I, I do. People who are facing persecution, people who have been in this country like for 20 years, who have been working hard, that have established themselves, kids that grew up in this country, they have a right to be here. If it was your family, you wouldn't say kick them out throw them away no you wouldn't say that so what people need to start doing is putting themselves in other people's shoes but for some reason the government these politicians have convinced us that we should not do that that's how they keep maintain power because they keep us at odds against each other as far as i'm concerned it's people against government and I'm not talking about Democrats. I'm not talking about Republicans. I'm talking about people against government. Hillary hates Donald Trump, but they used to party together all the time. Spare me. You know, spare me. Like these, these folks, you know, who claim to be for black people here in New York City. When a taser was pointed at a, a, a brother holding his kid on my block who was just filming the police. They said, well, we can't speak out against him because we don't want to make the police department mad. If they would have spoke out against the police last summer and said what these police officers did last summer, then a woman who, thank you, then a woman who was holding, I just got coffee, so everyone who knows that, from my guy Chicho who runs this cigar shop, Papa Juan's in the Bronx. So if they would have listened to our cries in the summer, when this taser was pointed at this young person who was being held by her dad, then the police wouldn't have pointed a taser at a woman holding a one-year-old a few days ago. You know, I'm calling her grandmother after I finish this interview and try and get some bail money for her. You got to understand, a lot of these people are right. People, a large number of people who get killed by police um, who are subject to police brutality are criminals. No one's disputing that. But criminals have rights under that divine piece of literature that we call the Constitution. That's right. Well, Hawk, let, let me ask you this, because I, I agree with what you're saying about how politicians tend to divide and and want to perpetuate that because... Frankly, that is how they stay in power in many cases. Yet, you and I probably don't see eye to eye on, on many issues, but here we are having a civil conversation. How do we promote this? What are you doing? What advice do you have for others uh, how they can go about engaging in this outside of perhaps the political spectrum mm -hmm. to get things done? I work with a group called One America. Rabbi, sheiks, uh, gay, straight people, Christian, white, black, Persian, Latin, you name it. Men, women, you name it, right? And what we do is encourage these conversations. But what I'm thinking about doing is starting a GoFundMe and doing a national tour to get people who are at odds against one another to just sit down and talk. We are not here to argue whose philosophies or theologies are better, but just to talk, to figure out what we agree on. We call it a common ground tour. You think people would donate to that? I, I think so. I think there's <laughs> groups out there that, uh, that, are, that are trying to foster that. I think uh, the Heritage Foundation would be one that might be interested <laughs> in engaging in a conversation like that. You know, you talked about this new organization that you're, you're creating 
what's next uh, in in your life? What uh, would you like our listeners to know about where you're heading next and and what you hope to accomplish? Well, I graduated from law school in 2012. I took the bar a few times after and failed it. Not as many times as John Kennedy Jr., but um, I failed it a few times, and I haven't taken it in about three years. So I'm currently studying for it. I'm taking it in February. What I want you all to do is pray for me, <laughs> right? Because if you know me and you know my work, it's hard for me to sit still. I'm kind of like an action activist junkie. I need to be out there screaming, chanting, applying pressure. I, this is what I live for. So me sitting down for 10 hours a day and studying, it's extremely hard. And um, so I'm taking a test. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep having a great time with my kids and my family. But rejuvenation, and it's broken down, rejuvenation. I want to breathe life back into a lifeless people. This, the vision for this is bigger. It's like where the Black Panthers meets the NAACP, right? And it's, it's, it's activism, yeah, but that's secondary. What we want to teach people is how to love themselves, how to support themselves, how to be better human beings, organizational skills. And this type of program benefits anyone it's applied to, but um, I think black folk need it. Just look at studies. People talk about violence. Um, it was a prison study that Dr. Mark Hyman, someone who I, I hold in a high regard, he, um, he, he showed me. This study said that violence in a prison was cut by 40% when they introduced a clean diet to these folks. And then when given a daily supplement, violence went down another 15%. So I think that a lot of our problems spur from what we eat, you know, and our mind state. Trauma is real. Like, I'm an alcoholic. A lot of people don't know that, right? And I had some severe anger issues. How did I deal with that? You know, I went to AA. I did therapy. But meditation, for me, is what helped me. And people are like, oh, meditation, he's a crazy hippie yogi. Actually, Jesus talked about, you know, the Bible talks about meditating. So I want to bring meditation into our neighborhoods because people have a lot of stress that they need to deal with. And meditating will help them tremendously. So rejuvenation is the future for me. I'm going to turn this organization over to my protege. Uh, her name is Nepal. That's the one that I told you about earlier. She came into Black Lives Matter Greater New York about two, three years ago. <clears throat> Trauma. Domestic violence in the home. She was abused as a child in many ways. And she didn't have a voice. She was active, but she didn't really have a voice. And she grew in this organization. And now she introduces me as her pop, right? And I'm adopting her. She's 18, so it's paperwork, but I'm adopting her. Think about this. The leader of Black Lives Matter, New York, one of the leaders of Black Lives Matter nationally, had a young woman come into his group, 15, 16, raised this young woman up, nurtured her, supported her, guided her, and now he's adopting her. Like, this is the type of work product that we're putting out. And um, it's all a labor of love. You know, she calls. She's like, hey, you know, I didn't get the PayPal with my allowance. You know, <laughs> like, this is my child. And, and calls to talk about things, strategy, talk things through. And this kid is a monster. You think I'm a problem? 
to uh, this this thing that we call white supremacy. When she arrives fully, oh my god, she she might deliver the knockout blow. <laughs> well, hopefully we'll have a chance to meet her and perhaps do an interview with her down the road. Hawk, I want to thank you for taking the time speaking with the Daily Signal today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate your time, and thank you for coming to the South Bronx, South South Bronx. Absolutely. Thank you. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Do you have an opinion that you'd like to share? I'm Rob Bluey, Editor-in-Chief of The Daily Signal, and I'm inviting you to share your thoughts with us. Leave us a voicemail at 202-608-6205 or email us at letters at dailysignal.com. Yours could be featured on The Daily Signal podcast. Thanks for sending us your letters to the editor. Each Monday, we feature some of our favorites, both on this show and in our Morning Bell email newsletter. Up first today is a voicemail from a listener about our recent interview with former Congressman Bob McEwen. Good evening. I just listened to Bob McEwen on one of your podcasts, and it was absolutely excellent. I understood so much uh, better all the different things that he talked about, and I thank you for getting that type of uh, quality um, explanations out there for the rest of us to learn from. So keep up the good work. Thank you. Well, we appreciate hearing from you. And Rachel, what else do we have this week? Lorena Davis of Otis, Oregon writes, I love the Daily Signal and plan to join the Heritage Foundation. I am so for the wall. But I wish someone would do the math as to how many millions of dollars in drugs come over the border And how many precious souls die as a result each day? How many rapes? How many trafficked humans? And how many die in the desert just trying to get in? And finally, Joanne Ryskowski writes about our recent investigative report on how migrant caravans are being funded. Thank you to Kevin Mooney for actually investigating and giving us, the public, actual information about caravans of migrants from Central America. It seems investigative reporting is dying as an occupation, and I'm struggling to find those reporters who tell the truth. So I want you to know I appreciate Kevin Mooney for that. Well, if you'd like to read the story, it's called Money and Support for Migrant Caravans Flow Through Chicago. Your letter could be featured on the next week's show. Send an email to letters at dailysignal.com or leave a voicemail message at 202-608-6205. Liberals have pretty much cornered the market on 101-style podcasts that break down tough policy issues in the news. Until now. Did you know that every week, Heritage Explains intermingles personal stories, news clips, and facts from Heritage experts to help explain some of today's hardest issues from a conservative perspective? Look for Heritage Explains on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, we're joined in our studio today by Michaela Stedman. Michaela, welcome to the Daily Signal podcast. Thanks, Rob. You have our uplifting story this week, and it's quite a good one. Why don't you tell us about it? Yes. Anthony Maggart is a retired military amputee who was on his way to look at prosthetic legs last week when he saw a car on the side of the Washington, D.C. Beltway. I just said, here's somebody who's in need, you know, and so I was like, why not take a second out of your day and help him out? 
After Maggart pulled over, he recognized that it was the previous Secretary of State and Military General Colin Powell who was trying to change his tire in the cold. The two men changed the tire, took a selfie, and went their separate ways. Later that night, Maggart messaged Powell thanking him for his 33 years of military service, saying, You were always an inspiration, a leader, and statesman. Powell shared the story of Maggart's kindness on his Facebook page and later told reporters, That's what we're all about, taking care of each other. That's what makes America great. we got to stop screaming and shouting at each other and start taking care of each other. Michaela, thanks for sharing that story. You know, as somebody who grew up at a different time than, than both of you, I mean, Colin Powell was this impressive general during Operation Desert Storm, who, who I remember from my youth and, uh, and obviously served with great distinction uh, in the Bush administration. And uh, it's great to hear a Good Samaritan helping it out. It is. It really is. I remember reading about him in high school, and it is such a good reminder that those we can, you know, here in the States, even be of service to those who are serving here, who have served or who are currently um, overseas. I particularly loved, they showed a photo in a video, I think it was posted on Fox News, of the gentleman in his fatigues, and it was a military photo, and then one of uh, Colin Powell, and it was just cool, you know, two different men from two different stages of life. Uh, serving their country, and then he was ultimately serving Colin Powell. Well, thanks for that, Rachel. We're going to leave it there for today. The Daily Signal podcast is broadcast from the Robert H. Bruce Radio Studio at the Heritage Foundation. You can find it on the Ricochet Audio Network along with our other podcasts. All of our shows can be found at dailysignal.com slash podcasts. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to listen every weekday by adding the Daily Signal podcast as part of your Alexa flash briefing. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review or give us feedback. It means a lot to us and helps us spread the word to others. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Daily Signal and Facebook.com slash The Daily Signal News. The Daily Signal podcast will be back tomorrow with Kate and Daniel. Have a great week. You've been listening to the Daily Signal podcast, executive produced by Kate Trinko and Daniel Davis. Sound designed by Michael Gooden, Lauren Evans, and Thalia Rampersad. For more information, visit DailySignal.com. Americans have almost entirely forgotten their history. That's right. And if we want to keep our republic, this needs to change. I'm Jarrett Stepman. And I'm Fred Lucas. We host The Right Side of History a podcast dedicated to restoring informed patriotism and busting the negative narratives about America's past. Hollywood, the media, and academia have failed a generation. We're here to set the record straight on the ideas and people who've made this country great. Subscribe to The Right Side of History on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Stitcher today.